0: Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Misery Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information, and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, August 3rd, we're studying Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 26 to 46. Moses continues his first sermon in the book of Deuteronomy. He describes how the journey well begun quickly takes a turn for the worse when the people of Israel refuse to obey the Lord's command to enter the promised land. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Tim Stork. Pastor Stork serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield Township, Michigan. Pastor Stork, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: Thanks, Pastor Apple. It's good to be here with you again.
0: So let's talk a little context. We're in the second half of Deuteronomy chapter one today. What should we know going into this text?
1: Well, as you mentioned at your introduction, um, Moses is making his opening remarks here in the book of Deuteronomy, um, helping the People who will soon be entering into the promised land remember what happened many, many years before with their own ancestors, um, reminding them of how they turned their backs on God's promise and his word and ended up rebelling against him.
0: So far in his sermon, he's he's been recounting history, and that's what he's going to keep doing here for a little while in the first couple chapters of Deuteronomy. Yesterday's text, the beginning of his sermon, things things went pretty well, uh, but today's text things take quite the the turn for the worse. Yesterday we were very very hopeful for the people of Israel, and and so often as was the case in their history, today we see how how things turn south for them not not <laughs> geographically necessarily, but they go south in terms of fi- figuratively speaking. But one one thing, and maybe just because we'll encounter this, who is who is Moses talking to? And, and how does he, and he's describing some of the habits of the past, but he's talking to a different group of people. How does that play into what we're going to read today?
1: Yeah. So when you open up this chapter, um, you realize first off that Moses is talking to the descendants of the people who first had the opportunity to enter into the promised land. Um, so these were actually the youngsters At that time, or some of them probably were not even born at that point. Um, Moses tells us back in the book of Numbers that it was those who were the age 19 and below who would end up inheriting the promised land that God had planned to give to his people when they first came out of Egypt. The interesting though, the interesting thing about this text though, is as Moses talks to the congregation, as he talks to his people, he always uses the word "you." Hmm. You, mu- you murmured in your tents, for example, in verse twenty-seven. Well, for some of them, they were babies at this time, or they were they were teenagers. They may not have even have known necessarily what was going on. As they had camped outside of the Promised Land, but Moses reminds them, and he reminds us, that just because we don't remember some of those things, um, does not necessarily mean that we are um, that we are um, not guilty from those things because of the sin that we've inherited from our parents. Um, And as Moses goes on to describe his interaction here as well, that none of us ultimately deserve the promised land, um, that his people didn't deserve that either. And so he reminds them of their own sinfulness in a way that this promised land that they are about to enter is ultimately gift from God and not something that they receive because they deserved it.
0: Yeah, that, I think that's that's going to be provide some re, points of reflection as we read this text, the way that he does speak to you, to people who maybe weren't even born when the events in question took place. And yet the ones to whom he's preaching, they need to hear this for themselves as if they were there so that they can, if I can say it this way, they can avoid the choice that their forefathers made. And do the opposite, and be faithful instead of faithless. It's a part of, it's a part of Moses's rhetorical strategy within the sermon as he preaches to this generation that's about to enter into the promised land. He he wants things to go better for them than they did for, and and we're going to see it in this sermon, or this part particularly for himself and for the generation that's passed away.
1: Yeah, um, definitely. And I think a lot of pastors also use this this very same style in our preaching as well. Um, that is, we recall our ancestors, both you know, looking back into the the New and the Old Testament with the church there, but also talking about our, our own people, um, the people who have gone before us in our congregations and in our families and in our homes, and reminding us as well that we are also um, a part of, a part of that as well, and to not only struggle against the the same sins, and maybe you know through the Lord overcome those sins, um, and, and also to learn to to withstand those pitfalls as well.
0: Yeah. So let's let's go ahead and read. We're picking up in Deuteronomy one, verse twenty six. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you murmured in your tents and said. Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you, as a man carries his son all the way that you went, up, went until you came to this place. Yet, in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents, in fire by night and in the cloud by day, to show you by what way you should go. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me the Lord was angry on your account and said, You also shall not go in there. Joshua the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there, and to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Then you answered me, We have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, Say to them, Do not go up or fight, for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, and you would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down in Seir, As far as Hormah. And you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. That's our text for today. That's Deuteronomy 1, verses 26 to 46. So, Pastor Stork, yesterday's text left off. They had sent the spies into the land. It's a good land, but here comes the unfaithfulness of the people. They refuse to go up. What do they What do they say in refusing to go into the land according to God's command?
1: Yeah, so uh, w- when they come back, um, as Moses says, you would not go up and rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, wow, yeah, God, God, God hates us. Mm. Um, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Mm. So w- when you first look at this, it's almost like they have completely lost the sense of what God has been planning to do for his people and what he has done for them. Um, that the Lord brings them out of Egypt, that he continues to provide for them as they were in the wilderness, making their way to the promised land. He provides them with everything that they need. And yet in their sight, all they see is the fact that God has hated them. Mm. And instead of leaving them in Egypt, where i guess they can continue on is as, as slaves and you know living under the hand of pharaoh and doing the things that they had already been doing there instead i guess god hates us so much that he's going to bring us out here and kill us by the hand of the amorites
0: it is a, a remarkable thing that they say as you said they i think I, mean, I think you said they've just lost their sense i, I don't how how can you say God God has hated us and that's why he has brought us out for just to and I appreciate here the way that Moses has arranged his his sermon his very first speech because really up to this point he has only talked about the faithfulness of the Lord he's talked about the faithfulness of the Lord in terms of making them a great people in terms of, uh, providing for leadership not only through Moses but through others who to whom he delegated authority and and even in the faithfulness of God bringing them up to this point where they're getting ready to go into the promised land. So in terms of just the way that Moses is preaching this sermon like as a as a hearer of the sermon to this new generation I I think that kind of that there is no sense in this is the, is kind of what Moses intends these young people, this new generation to think like wait a second. God hated them? No, he hasn't. Moses hasn't said anything at all so far that would make them think that God hated them. I mean it's it's so senseless from an objective perspective at least. Now the people aren't objective and that's yeah. that's of course our problem too as sinners is that we we don't look at things in faith. We think about them in our unbelief. But I mean it is senseless and yet that's precisely the move they make and it's quite like whoa I think rhetorically, again, on this new generation, that's kind of the point.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's um, when you see the the sin and the sins that have plagued the children of Israel since they've left Egypt, you know, all the times of complaining and murmuring against God and against Moses, you know, you brought us out of Egypt to, to die in the wilderness, there's nothing here for us to eat, you know, you're going to, kings are going to come after us. We're, we're all going to end up dying. Um, would that we have died in the wilderness. Uh, I mean, I think here, even in the midst of everything that God has done for them, there seems to still be this sense of, you know, unbelief in a way. Yeah. It's like, really? You know, even though God has done all of these good things for us, we're still waiting. You know, I put it this way. It's almost like they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. You know, eventually God is not going to do something good for us. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's kind of like the the father who does something, you know, good for his children. And, you know, eventually they're waiting for him to, it's like, okay, well, when is, when's dad going to mess up? And it's almost kind of like the children of Israel, even though God keeps proving himself to them over and over again. It's almost like, okay, when is God going to drop the other shoe? When is he going to destroy us all? You know, God's got to hate us. We haven't been these great people.
0: Well, and I mean, you know, Moses hasn't recounted all of all of the intervening material no. in this sermon, but we do know that there has been this back-and-forth between the children of Israel in terms of their faith and unbelief they've been grumbling from from time to time about whether they didn't have enough food or mm-hmm. not enough water so we, we do know that that's been going on this I, the, the thing I appreciate about Moses putting these words particular in their mouth it's because the Lord has hated us is because it, it does seem so senseless and yet at the same time it's the it's the temptation that the devil has been working against the people of God all the way back to Adam and Eve. There there are many different things that can be said about what happens mm-hmm. when the serpent tempts Adam and Eve. But but one of the temptations that's there is to believe that God doesn't intend good for them. You know, the, the reason God doesn't want them to have the fruit, according to the serpent, is because God knows that if they eat it, something good will happen, and God doesn't want that good thing for them. Uh-huh. Right? I mean, this is... That's the temptation all along, and it's the same temptation that that the people of Israel had fallen into there at Kadesh Barnea, and it's and this is where it, it hits us because you know, oh it's so senseless how could they do that, <laughs> uh-huh. but this is the same temptation that we fall into as well is to think that in in whatever we're going through somehow God intends it to us as evil or because He hates us rather than always seeing Him as Jesus teaches us to see Him as our loving Father.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop or that we're always waiting for, you know, the bad thing to happen um, from God. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, so, and this is where I think Moses's sermon is going to continue to help, to help. He talks about how he wanted the people then to see it. But again, especially so that the people who who's listening to him right then and there will see, there is no reason for you to think that God has, has hated you. Mm-hmm. I, I will just briefly, I think it's, it's worth pointing out that I, I, can't, I can hardly imagine a greater insult that the people of Israel could have spoken to God, to, to tell him the reason that you brought us out of Egypt was to kill us because you hated us. When you think of everything that God did to affect their deliverance and all of the, the varied ways in which he provided for them on their journey out of Egypt up to that point, to say that he had done it all because he just wanted to kill them because he hated them, I I have a hard time imagining a, a greater insult to God.
1: Yeah. I mean, even the fact that, you know, if you look at the text in Numbers 2, again, Moses doesn't give us all of the details of, of what happens back there in what he tells us here. But the fact that when the, the spies come back, you know, they have proof of the wonderful fruit and you know that this is a land flowing with milk and honey and and everything that god has has been telling them they're going to receive when they get to the promised land and yeah i mean there there is no greater greater insult god you brought us here not because you loved us but because you hated us and Mm -hmm. you know you want to see us
0: dead Yeah, yeah. So you you brought up what happens in Numbers, that they did bring back evidence of the goodness of the land. That's really not here in in this text, as Moses recounts it in Deuteronomy. But he does bring up the part of of the ten spies, as we know, who were unfaithful. He brings out what they said that caused the people's heart to melt. What does Moses say about the message the spies brought that, that started this rebellion against the Lord?
1: Yeah, so he goes on in verse 28, and Moses says, Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we are. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we've seen the sons of Anakim there. Um, So as these spies have been journeying around, Moses tells them that when they come out, the 10 spies, um, not Caleb and Joshua, but the others, when they come out, they... Begin to tell the people that there is no way that we're going to be able to come into the promised land to defeat these great and fortified cities that rise up to heaven. It, it almost brings a, the sense of the Tower of Babel to mind um, back from Genesis that you know they've created these large cities that nothing is going to be able to overcome them. Um, you know, sword, stone, steel, none of those things are going to be able to knock down the walls of these cities. Um, And it's not just that. They're also concerned because they believe that the people are not only greater, but that they're taller than them. That in their their own viewpoint, they're, um, I don't know how to put it. Well, let's say that they're an ant compared to one of us (laughs) yeah
0: Yeah.
1: you know a a, a tiny little ant compared to somebody who is six foot three um now i don't know if that's necessarily the the best comparison (laughs) here but i have a feeling that that's you know when they're looking at these men it's like oh my gosh there's no way that we're going to be able to physically defeat them um Mm -hmm. You know he goes right.
0: What, well, and, and whatever whatever the the true proportions would have been, I think that you know that that exaggeration that you gave us, a giant compared to an ant, that's the way that they're seeing it, which it, when when you talked about you know how they're seeing it, I think that's the right way to think about this text is that or at least this part of it is that the people are seeing the promised land and they're seeing the people in the promised land, well they're not actually seeing it according to the promise, they're seeing it with the eyes of of this world rather than the eyes of faith so i mean according to earthly wisdom yeah those are really fortified cities really tall that we're going to be really difficult to conquer and those people have a lot bigger muscles than we do and bigger weapons and we're going to be squashed that's the eyes of the world but but i mean we're, we're calling it the promised land but that's the part that the people of israel seem to be forgetting they don't they're not seeing it according to the promise if they saw it occurring in the promise, they would know none of these obstacles are too big, but they're, they're only seeing it with the eyes of the world rather than the eyes of faith.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we'll see that at the end of our text for today, the fact that, you know, after everything has occurred and, you know, the, the things that Moses tells them, then all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, yeah, we'll go in and attack them, Mm. but we're going to do it on our, you know, ultimately though, God says, I'm not going to go with you. You're going to do this yeah. on your own at this point. But yeah, I mean, that that's where the eyes of faith compared to, you know, the eyes of the world, that mm. these impossible things cannot actually come true. Um, just recently, I was reading in the book of Genesis about, um, you know, when the three men show up for Abraham and they tell Abraham that he and Sarah are going to have a child, and of course Sarah laughs. Um, and the the whole understanding, though, is God can do the impossible. And the fact that here again, as this part of the children of Israel, the descendants of those who first came, you know, are being reminded that you know our parents. You know our grandparents when they arrived you know they only saw things from the standpoint of the earth they only saw things from the standpoint of you know brick and mortar and steel and you know oh my gosh there's no way that we're going to be able to overcome this but they forgot the one who who would who could overcome it that it could never just be about them that god is the one who promised them to give them the, the promised land.
0: Yeah, and, and because he had promised it, then it was as good as done. That That's the way that they, they could have and should have seen the land in which they were going to. Despite all the obstacles that seemed to be in front of them, the Lord's promise was greater than all of that. And that's, I mean, that's the key when it comes to thinking about the Lord does what is impossible according to human standards. It is according to what he has promised. We, we always attach that to a promise of God, that whenever he has promised something, it is as good as done, which is, I mean, that's still a comfort for us as Christians today. He's, for example, he's promised to hear our prayers. Mm-hmm. And so in those moments when maybe the, the eyes of this world would, would see a situation and, and you've prayed and it doesn't seem like God's answering your prayers, the eyes of faith know that he is because he's promised it. Mm-hmm. I mean, similarly, like with the sacraments and with any, any promise that God has made, that's, that's what faith clings to. And that's the way to, to try to apply this to, to us today. That's the way we need to continue to look at the world is, is through the lens of what God has promised rather than just what our, our earthly sight would tell us. Yeah.
1: Well, that takes us into verse 30 when Moses tells them, 29 and 30, where Moses tells them, do not be in dread or afraid of them. You know, he's very clear on that. You know, don't be afraid. Don't be in dread. God is going to be the one who goes before you. He's going to fight for you. What are you worried about? Um, you know, he's been promising you this this good thing, this good land for all of these years. Do you think he's going to back out now? No, of course not. God is going to fight for you. You don't have anything to worry about.
0: Yeah, it's it's really it's really amazing to see Moses tell the people in the midst of their doubt. He he preaches this short little sermon to them about you don't need to be afraid. You know, he doesn't Moses is a, a faithful servant here of the Lord. He's continues to speak the word in the midst of the people's doubt and their unbelief that's starting to come up. He he's going to encourage them based on the word of the lord based on who the lord is so we're going to continue to see how moses does that on the other side of the break you're listening to sharper iron here on KFUO. we're looking at deuteronomy chapter one with pastor tim stork we'll be right back you stick around Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, August 3rd. We're studying Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 26 to 46 with Pastor Tim Stork. He serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield Township, Michigan. Pastor Stork, prior to the break, we left off in the middle of Moses' brief sermon to the children of Israel on the cusp of the promised land for that first time. They had doubted the Lord's promise. They're ready to, to quit and give up. But Moses says, don't be afraid. Because remember who's with you. Remember who goes before you, the Lord, your God. He's the one that will fight for you. And that's kind of where we left off. I love the way that Moses then encourages them. He brings up concrete realities of why they can trust the Lord. What what does he say as to the, what are the examples that he gives for the reasons they can trust the Lord to fulfill his promise yet again? Yeah.
1: So he goes on to say in verse 31, in the wilderness where you have seen the Lord, your God, carry you as a man carries his son all that way until you went until you came to this place so all that time that you've been spending out in the in the desert at this point coming here god is the one who has carried you like a father carries his son he's again he's provided for you he's given you food to eat he's provided you water he's given you leaders he's He's done all of these things for you. Um, and, and, you know, he's kept his promise. Your shoes haven't worn out. You, you've you made it here. Um, at, at, I mean, what else could they want? I mean, what, what other concrete proof could these people really want? You know, from seeing what God did in Egypt, not only with the plagues, but um, And then, of course, bringing the children of Israel to the edge of the Red Sea, pushing back the waters, bringing them through on dry ground, drowning Pharaoh and his, you know, hard-hearted army. um, And and then, of course, leading them out away from Egypt. How could you not believe him? You know, God, God has done all of these marvelous things right before your eyes. And then verse 32. In spite of this, in spite of all of this proof, in spite of everything that you saw, in spite of everything that you you heard, you didn't believe. You didn't believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents. And then again, Moses reminds them, where was God during that whole time? He was in fire by night and in the pillar of cloud by day showing you exactly where you should go i mean there was no you know for the children of israel in the wilderness there wasn't a time where god wasn't there in a in a physical manner you know god was protecting them he was showing them exactly what direction they were supposed to go and yet you get you know your ancestors your family members get to the edge of the promised land and now they don't want to believe now they don't yeah. Yeah. you know now they don't want to trust and it's like
0: what more could what more could god do right yeah i mean this is again to use that same word we used before this is where the senselessness of unbelief does come in, in and in a very sad way it just doesn't unbelief doesn't make sense there's no reason that the people of israel should fail to trust the lord here that he's given them absolutely no evidence mm-hmm. that he is anything but trustworthy there's there's no reason to think that he won't prove himself trustworthy again and yet they, that's the way they go and and I think this is one of those sections particularly here where where you see the wisdom in the way Moses speaks as we said at the beginning that he addresses this to you to these these children at the time some of whom maybe hadn't been born this new generation he he says you know the Lord did this before your eyes. Well, he's not expecting people to raise their hand. Wait a second, Moses. No, no, I wasn't born yet. That's that's not the point. Uh-huh. He wants these people to go into the promised land with that confidence that what happened in the Exodus, what happened in the wilderness, that that actually happened to them. Yeah. So that as they go into the promised land, they have the confidence that Moses was trying to instill in the people at the 40 years prior.
1: Yeah. I mean, that that's the remembering that, goes throughout all of the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, and then, it, of course, into the New as well. Remember what I've done for your fathers. Remember what I did when I brought them out of Egypt. Remember, mm-hmm. you know, how I brought them safely out of Babylon. Remember. And then, of course, it goes into the New Testament as well, where, yeah. you know, constantly we are, remember what I did. You know, what. remember what I've done for you. um. Yeah. You know, remember that I have given you as our Lord says, you know, he, he gives us his body and blood in remembrance of him. Um, you, you know, that it's this constant remembrance, not again, just this head knowledge of, oh yeah, God did these things, you know, way back in history at some point in time, but God did these things for me. Yeah. You know, he He brought the the children of Israel to this place, not just for them, but also for me and for you and and for our listeners so that they would too know the faithfulness of God and the fact that he does keep his promises.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is one of the wondrous things about, particularly, you mentioned Holy Communion and the remembrance that's there. I think also Holy Baptism fits into mm-hmm. this, particularly with the way Paul speaks in Romans 6 about those who are baptized were crucified, buried, and raised with Christ. So that, I mean... You, you were there. It was for you in a very personal way. The same way of, of speaking that Moses does here in Deuteronomy 1 is given to each one of us when we're baptized. And every time we, we approach the Lord's altar to receive his body and blood, it's the same way that the Lord speaks to to you very particularly, even though, I mean, again, it's not to raise, well, no, no, I wasn't there. That was 2,000 years ago. No, no, that, that's not the point. This is for you. It was done for you, and and by these gifts of God, those things are like it's 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 almost like time, sort of, it, it gets overcome, and you're there, mm-hmm. and, and it's for you, all the same as the people who actually were there. It's it's for you. Yeah,
1: um, yeah as uh, my vicarage supervisor one time told me, he said, "You know, we can't go back in time to these events," Wh- which is true. There is no such thing as a time machine that. You know can take us back to the crucifixion or takes us back to the upper room but he goes on to say that you know god uses pipes and and what he meant by that is the fact that through the pipes of the church through absolution in the word through baptism and the lord's supper that the lord connects us here on this day to the things of you know jesus so, you know, his death becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection in the supper, in the words, in baptism. Um, so in a way, like you said, Pastor, we are, we are connected to those events. We are connected to those very things that God did and brings us together with, with all the people who have faith in Jesus.
0: Yeah, so Moses preaching is is having a similar aim here, as he says, "You saw the Lord do these things," but he's also reminding them, "You rejected." So again, not to not to put themselves on a place of pride over and against their fathers, but to remember the same flesh clings to them, the same temptations beset them, and the need for the Lord's help against those. So as as then the Lord or Moses speaking here goes back into the the account the Lord is going to have a reaction against the people's rebellion. How does he react against the people's rebellion when they refuse to go into the promised land? Verse 34, God swears. Um,
1: he, he swears against his people. He, he makes an oath against them. He goes on and he says, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except for two, except for Caleb, he shall see it, and to him and to his children, he's going to give the land. And then we also find out that he goes on and says, Joshua, the son of Nun, um, he too will also inherit Israel. Um, but we do find out, of course, that unfortunately, Moses is not going to be a part of the generation that inherits the land because of his own um, disobedience towards God's word. Mm.
0: So this, this matter of, of God swearing, that's a, that's a that's a scary thing in this context. There have been other contexts where we've seen God swear an oath, and it was very good news. Yes. I mean, when he swears his oath to Abraham, I suppose... So for think about how comforting that promise is, that the Lord swears to Abraham that his descendants will be greater than the stars in the sky. As comforting as that is, the oath that God swears here, I guess, is that terrifying. It's like the complete other side of it. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, it's going to come true. The, just like God's promised his oath to Abraham about the um, his descendants being as numerous as the stars in the sky. When God hears their unbelief, it's not met with gentleness or kindness. You know, verse 34 tells us that it's met with anger Um, God God is angry with his people, and he swears that none of these men except, again, Caleb and Joshua um, are going to enter into the land that he swore to give to them, that eventually this whole generation is going to die out.
0: So talk a little bit about how this this particular section about the Lord's anger and the oath that he swears, how does it get used into the, into the new Testament, particularly in the book of Hebrews?
1: Yeah. So when you take a look at the book of Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapters three and four, the writer there, let me get my Bible nice and quickly. Um, as the writer of Hebrews talks about, um, What's going on here? Let's see, where is it? There we go. Um, he goes on, he, he reminds us about what God had promised to his people. Um, he goes on, he says, um, let me see if I can find it. Yeah. So at the beginning of Hebrews chapters 3, um, verse 7, the writer says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your father's put me to the test and you saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Um, he then goes on of course that to remind us in saying today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Um, that you know when when we hear god's word that the holy spirit would bring us to faith that we would trust god um that we would listen to the word that he says um and and know and find rest in those very things
0: Yeah. So okay, we, we see how this gets applied then to us in the New Testament. And I, I love the way and we, we're not studying the book of Hebrews, so I'm not gonna go too far there. <laughs> but I do like how the the writer of Hebrews then brings this into the present tense for us. And even as you continue in that section, you know, he he brings it ultimately to say, look, all of this was fulfilled, not finally in Joshua, mm-hmm. but in, in Jesus. That's where the true rest is. And I mean I think if we if we can take that and sort of and think about Moses preaching that as well, that even he is thinking beyond just the promised land that lies across the Jordan river, but he too is, is preaching Christ that far ahead of time. I think the writer of Hebrews helps us to, mm-hmm. to make some of those connections, but, but maybe let's not get too far afield into the, the book of Hebrews. We'll we'll stay here in, in Deuteronomy. <laughs> uh, talk a little bit about the ones, you know, he, so after the Lord swears about who gets to go and who doesn't, it kind of goes it goes back and forth a little bit. You get Caleb goes, Moses doesn't, Joshua goes, and then there's some others that get to go as well. Talk a little bit about the ones who do get to go and who don't get to go into the Promised Land.
1: Okay, so the first one that he mentions, of course, is Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Um, Caleb, we find out, looking back in the book of Numbers, um, that he is from the tribe of Judah, and... Um, and he is, I would say, probably the one who best exemplifies what that childlike faith looks like, that our Lord is always speaking about throughout the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, um, you know, to to be like a child. Um, Caleb trusted God's word. He heard it. He knew that God could bring them into the promised land. Um, You know, and and to him and to his children, I'll give the land on which he has trodden because he has wholly followed the Lord. Um, You know, the Lord has taken Caleb's heart and has made him to follow him. Um, But then Moses goes on, verse 37. He says, even with me, the Lord was angry on your account and said, you shall not go in there. Now, of course, remember what happens with Moses. Um, Back in the book of Numbers, again, um, Moses is um, not listening to God's word. Remember, Moses is told to speak to the rock. Instead, Moses strikes the rock. um, And for his disobedience towards the Lord and his word, the Lord tells Moses, you're not going to be able to enter then into the promised land. Um, and then after Moses, of course, we have Joshua, who is Moses's assistant and who will basically be leading the children of Israel into the promised land. He'll be directing the army um, who will be in charge, basically, of Israel getting everything set up um, in the book of Joshua as well. And as you mentioned, Pastor Apple, Joshua is is connected with jesus back in hebrews chapter 4 that we have this comparison going on there that jesus is ultimately the one though who brings us into the true promised land by giving up his own life and then Mm -hmm. finally
0: go ahead keep going keep going okay no no keep going that's where i was going to push us okay
1: and then finally he says as for your little ones who you said that they would become a prey so earlier back in the book of Deut- or back in the book of numbers the the people the original people who were supposed to go in were so concerned that their children were going to become a prey that they were going to be destroyed and killed well now moses is talking to those children and as for your little ones who you said would become a prey and your children who today have no knowledge of good and evil shall go in there And these are the very ones that Moses is talking to now. Um, To them, I will give the land. They will possess it. Um, And again, as Moses recounts back in Numbers, these were all 19 and younger. Um, So, you know, after the, the time that has taken place here, you know, some of these, again, that are about to enter in probably weren't even born And many of them were extremely young. If they weren't babies or infants, um, they are now going to be the ones who inherit the land. Um, And then he goes on finally in verse 40, he says, but as for you turn and journey into the wilderness and the direction of the Red Sea, Um, turn back. God is not going to fight for you. You have turned your back on the Lord he is not going to allow you to enter into the promised land, um, you know, because you do not have the Lord's blessing. You do not have him to fight for you. So it's better for you to turn around and head back towards Egypt.
0: I, I love these, these verses and the way that they talk about who actually does get to go. How, how ironic that those that the people thought would become the prey, those surest to lose in the battle, those are the ones that the Lord sustains. Mm-hmm. And and the ones who just don't know what's know what's going on, they're the ones that the Lord brings in. I mean, what a what a wonderful example of the way Jesus says that the wise are the ones that that they miss the kingdom of God, and it's the ones who are entirely dependent upon the Lord, as he calls little children, mm-hmm. those are the ones that get to come in. What a beautiful picture of the same thing Jesus teaches. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you look
1: again at the the text back in verse 39, who today have no knowledge of good and evil. Um, you know, and again, that reminds us back from Genesis chapter three with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that these children at this point have no knowledge of that good and evil. Um, now, that doesn't mean that they aren't sinners. Of course they are. But, you know, they don't even know the things that the adults know. Um, those who have grown up, who have studied, who who know God's word and his promises, um, they are the ones. It, it's almost as if, you know, the, there's this picture here of, you know, the Gentiles who, don't really know anything about God at all, and they are the ones, along with the believing Jews, who are going to inherit the land. Um, they're the ones who are going to be able to, you know, rejoice in this promised land.
0: Right? Yeah. The the thing about no knowledge of good and evil is not making a theological statement. It's it's mm-hmm. making a statement about. Like how much kids know? Yeah. kids don't kids don't know those <laughs> things. I mean, they a, a child would not have the the point is to be like a child and and, in this sense, to trust what the Lord says mm-hmm. rather than to think, as we were talking earlier, the the problem with the adults here is that they thought they knew better than the lord. the The faith of the child is to let God be God and simply to receive the good things that He has promised. and And that's what's literally going to happen as the people go into the promised land it is it is those who didn't know any better they're the ones that the lord brings and the ones who thought they knew better than the lord they're the ones that die in the wilderness now this is where the people again think they know better than god they they hear him and say these things and instead of believing him and repenting and letting god's word be his word they think oh well No, we'll go. But again, the problem is they don't listen to the word that God has spoken. Take us into the the continued rebellion of the people in verses 41 and following. Yeah,
1: you're exactly right, Pastor. Um, You know, they haven't listened. God has told them that he's turned back from them. Um, And now, again, they... They've almost come to a sense they've come to a sense of repentance. It's like, oh my gosh, we have sinned. We've sinned against you, Lord. Um, but instead of listening to his word from the verse before in verse 40, but as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. That's my word for you now. That's what I want you to do. Instead, well, God. We're going to go up and fight now, as you told us originally. We'll we'll go in. We'll we'll fasten on our weapons, and we'll go up into the hill country, and we will battle against the Amorites. <laughs> I mean, it's I That's, I don't it's a know. Bad idea though, <laughs> it's a bad <laughs> idea. You're exactly right. It is I a bad be. idea. Do not do. <laughs> I mean, especially. I mean. I guess in one way, you know, for the Israelites here at this point, it's like, okay, we realize we've sinned. Maybe now we can go, you know, we've we've admitted that we've sinned. Now maybe God's going to be with us. Well, God has changed his word. You know, no longer is he going to fight for you at this point. You are to follow his word, which means turning around and going back into the wilderness. That's what yeah. I want you to do. And instead they, again, they decide, Oh, we're going to go and do what we think is right. Right. We're not going to listen yep. to God's word anymore. So we're going to go in and fight.
0: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I mean, they, they've got the, they're trying to play sort of pick and choose with God's word Yeah. rather than hearing his word in, in actual repentance and faith, you know, repentance would have looked like, you are right, Lord, we confess, we are sorry, have mercy upon us, and then receiving whatever he says in mercy, mm-hmm. rather than saying, oh, well, oh, we didn't realize that was going to be the consequence, so we're going to go back to the first word. That's That's not faith in the Lord, that's continued trying to figure it out yourself rather than, again, simply listening to the Lord. And so, predictably, it it goes poorly for them. They they say, we're going to go up. The Lord says, don't do that. I'm not going with you. (laughs) They do, and it goes poorly for them, as Moses, keep taking in the Moses description here. Yeah,
1: so the Lord tells Moses, tell them not to go up and fight, because I'm not going to be in their midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So Moses tells them. Again, Moses reminds them, you would not listen. You rebelled against the command of the Lord, um, and you presumptuously went up into the hill country. You assumed to know what was going to happen. You assumed that God is, you know, still going to be there for you, that he is going to protect you and, you know, destroy the Amorites and the other people. Um, And then verse 44, the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you, (laughs) chased you as bees do and beat you down in Seir as far as Horma. That's
0: quite the, quite the image. That is quite the image. Chased around by bees.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I drove uh, one time a number of years ago, I I drove over a beehive with a, um, while I was driving a tractor with a brush hog on the back. And I Put that tractor into sixth gear and drove as fast as I could across that field. But man, those bees were, those bees were swarming. It was not fun, um, you know. And that that's exactly how Moses describes it here. They came out as bees and beat you down. Um, mm. yeah. You know, God was not there. He he told you he wasn't going to be in your midst, and you tried to fight on your own, and this is the consequence. Mm.
0: Yeah. And then that, that last verse. So you you stayed there for a long time. I mean, you you were there for many days. And that's kind of the like you can see how Moses' sermon, I think, it, it came to this oh, things are going well and now things are starting to hit pretty much rock bottom is and that's where you get to leave it, Pastor Stork. Sorry about that. <laughs> but I mean this is this is the decline here part of the sermon. This is where the people are really meant to and this again, I think, is where the you language really has a, a quite the effect that the people place themselves there like oh, we were on the cusp of the promised land and it was our unfaithfulness that caused us to stay here for 40 years when we, we didn't have to do that.
1: <sighs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. Well, then, you know, verse 45, you returned and you wept before the Lord. I mean, what else What else were they going to do? I mean, they ultimately wrought this upon themselves. Um, all they had left was wisdom tears of sadness, um, mm-hmm. tears from the defeat. And, but then notice also what happens there. The Lord didn't listen to your voice or give ear to you. Um, you, you would not listen to the Lord. And now in response, he's not going to listen to you. Um, mm-hmm. And so then, like you said, finally, they remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. And, um, mm-hmm just a horrible, um, horrible part of, of Israel's history um, of rebelling against the Lord and then, and then trying to take everything into their own hands and, and trying to make it still work out for, for their good, even though God had, had given them another word to, to go back into the wilderness to, to repent and, and trust in him and to trust in his mercy.
0: Yeah, uh, to trust in his mercy, and that uh, that's maybe a good place to leave it today. We we had a—this a, is a very much a law section of the sermon, and that's okay. Sermons need that, yeah. but, but pointing us toward the mercy of God that's ours in Christ, that's ultimately where Moses is moving with this sermon, so keep listening so that you get to hear the rest of it. Pastor Tim Stork is pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield Township, Michigan helping us today with Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 26 to 46. Pastor Stork, thanks for being our guest today.
1: Hey, no problem, Pastor Apple. I enjoyed it as always.
0: The Lord is merciful, even in the midst of our unfaithfulness. Moses preaches to the new generation that they might see the mercy of the Lord and receive the mercy of the Lord as they prepare to enter into the promised land. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again. Come on.